Welcome to Ronin Rabbit, episode 104. I'm your host, Ed Moore. The Ronin Rabbit is a Usagi Yojimbo fan podcast, and it is a spoiler show. To tweet me, you can catch me at Teal, T-E-A-L Productions on Twitter. Ronin Rabbit has a Google Plus page. On Facebook, I post the episodes on the Usagi Yojimbo Dojo page. BigTimeNoise.com slash Rabbit, the website, and UsagiPodcast at gmail.com, the email address. Usagi Yojimbo Volume 3, Issue 30 from Dark Horse Comics, dated July 1999, entitled Tamashigiri, uh, the story. Now, Tamashigiri means sword testing. So, right off the bat, we're introduced to a new word as the story title. Our principals, Mayamoto Usagi and Inspector Shida, also Inspector Ni'i and Yoshii. Now, I don't know if I've missed it up till now, but the cover of this issue kind of didn't have anything really to do with the story. Uh, the cover is a very playful cover. A couple crows appear at the top flying across, going call, call. Usagi standing here holding his um, kitana slung over his back by the strap, eyeballing a, um, yeah, the word just completely escapes me, uh, scarecrow. There it is. A scarecrow that has been done up of Usagi, uh, even with some cloth that looks like his tunic, and a young fox cub here in the back hiding in the bushes holding a paintbrush with a big smile on his face. That is not really the story inside. We open with a three-panel first page of a sheath of bamboo. Uh, the first two panels each show the same thing. And the third one, you see a hi and a sweep as the bamboo um, bunch is cut. And in the next page, we see that a sword is being tested and a sensei is teaching his student the art. Now, the student turns out to be Yoshii, and this is a clan of sword testers, and he is being brought up in the ways of his clan. Next page is 20 years later, and we see a uh, what I call a G.O.B., which is just a good old boy, leaving the bar here talking to one of his buddies about having to uh, make room for some more sake as he's kind of trundling off uh, to the latrine, I would suppose, unless he finds a darkened corner to use as a latrine. Turns the corner and walks into a couple darkly hooded samurai. And by that I mean they have dark hoods, not that they are dark. He immediately drops his bottle of sake, screams no, tries to get away, but is cut down. The two gentlemen bend over, uh, start inspecting the body but then decide that they can't use him because he has tattoos. About that time, somebody rounds the corner. Actually, the buddy that uh, our good old boy here, point of view, left the bar from, he left his buddy there where his buddy came looking for him, I guess, when he heard his exclamations. And because of that, the two hooded samurai run off. Later that evening, we see that uh, Inspector Ishida and Usagi are inspecting the corpse getting information that they can from the other officers. One says he's just another nameless piece of scum, probably got what he deserved, and Ishida calls him down. 
that attitude is one that pops up several times in this story. And that's, I don't know, that just struck me as kind of curious after the genteelness that the previous two-part story was handled. Um, now we have a little bit more um, real world, I guess, c- coming into being brought into the story as far as people's reactions to, to various situations. But um, Usagi and Ishida are inspecting the body, and Usagi bends down and asks, you know, may, may I look? Ishida steps aside, and Usagi says, hmm. And he stands up, you know, having realized something, and he tells Ishida, he was slain by a very deft stroke. It was not an ordinary kill. And Ushida responds, I see a skilled swordsman, eh? Uh, so they go back and forth a little bit, you know, tossing out, maybe the guy was this, maybe the guy was that, you know, different different ideas. And they're like, nah. And then Ishida says, well, the problem um, is that I'm kind of short of staff. Most of my men are assisting Inspector Nii with the assassination of Chamberlain Toyofuku. Others are looking into that raid that happened at the Lotus House the other night. And then Ishida stops a second and says, huh, I wonder if those two are connected. And Usagi's like, um, I, I doubt it. We know otherwise, of course. And by the end of this story, um, Ishida, I think, knows otherwise as well. But So then we cut to the police station where we see Inspector Ishida uh, getting a report from Nii. Uh, Nii is telling him there are reports that a long-eared ronin was involved in the Chamberlain's murder. Um, We're putting together an accurate description of him. Uh, He may also have been involved in the attack on the Lotus House. My men are scouring the city as we speak, but he seems to have disappeared. But we will find him, Chief Inspector Ishida. This, I promise you. And (laughs) Usagi is reacting rather uh, as you would expect at the thought of being connected with one or both of those. Uh, Ishida dismisses him, and as... Ichi walks by Usagi. Uh, he is watching, watching Jotaro, who is there with Ishida, and he holds the child up in front of him so that uh, Ishi can't see exactly anything about his face, really. So as they're talking, uh, uh, sorry, as Ishida and Usagi are talking about just different things, Ishida gets a visit by uh, from Yoshii, the... Um, head of a clan of blade testers. Uh, he's a goat with very dark characteristics as far as his physicality. He looks, uh, he looks evil. That's that's what I mean by dark in this instance. To be separated by my usage of dark in uh, describing the samurai earlier, who just had dark hoods. This guy looks evil. I'll say that he looks evil. Asking uh, the inspector about bodies. Uh, to use for his his clan's art, that of sword testing. Gets to the point where, you know, basically they realize none are available. Yoshii even asks Ishida for uh, uh, the upper hand in new bodies for a price, at which Ishida bristles and they kind of leave their meeting under those circumstances. Uh, Ishida explains to Usagi what is going on as far as Yoshii needing bodies and why and why they can't use certain bodies and everything like that. Uh, Telling us, the reading audience, really, uh, I I would think that at this point probably a lot of this is known by Usagi. But either way, that's what goes on on the next several panels. Later that night, we're at another bar, another drinking binge, another G.O.B., 
that's a good old boy, wanders out wanting to uh, make more room for Saki. Uh, this one maybe is a little further inebriated than the first we saw earlier in the book because he sees a Tokagi and he takes umbrage with the Tokagi and he, he throws his sake bottle at it and starts chasing it. Um, filthy beasts, filthy rotten beasts, laugh at me, will you? On various panels as he's chasing down the beast and the Tokagi, uh, m- much fleet of foot, I might add, outdistances him and as the good old boy rounds a corner between a, a couple houses, we hear zwit. And we see, ugh, as presumably he is cut down by a sword strike. We cut to Usagi and Ishida patrolling uh, in an unsavory part of town. They call it the Bleak Quarter, uh, which also happens to be the area that the disappearances took place in. Uh, Ushida tells Usagi, thank you for keeping me company. Um, my men would normally patrol this area, but as I said, I'm short-staffed, and to be honest with you, not all my men consider those living here worth their time to protect. So again, that uh, cultural class difference kind of rears its head. I appreciate that. I, I think that's a, I, th- that's a very prevalent thing that I would imagine exists in most societies, and in, in trying to make portrayals realistic, I, I think it needs to be inserted where, you know, where it would be. So I, I appreciate that in the writing. Uh, a Tokagi races past them, and they quickly turn and realize, well, he came from this direction. So they go in that direction, and they see a couple men putting a, uh, a rolled-up mat in a uh, palanquin, one of those boxes that the people ride in with the two guys on either end on, on poles. It's supported by poles, and the two men are carrying it. I was kind of curious, and I didn't look this up. I know that uh, palanquin isn't a Japanese term. I think it's uh, East uh, India, in, Indian, Middle Indian, East Indian, something in, from from the subcontinent of India, I believe. Middle Eastern. There's the word I was looking for. Uh, but, but I'm not sure that that word would have gotten to the Shogun era Japan. You know, I, I know they had those those riding um, equipment. I've I've seen them you know, many times placed in that era. I just question whether they would have been called a palanquin or would have had a more uh, Japanese term. But they load the body and the palanquin moves on, you know, down the road and encounters a couple of the masked samurai whom the palanquin is turned over to by these two gentlemen who were collecting the mat. One of them takes his mask off and is revealed to be Yoshii. Ishida wants to run out, but Usagi holds him back and says, hang on, let's, you know, let's see what else is going on. We, we see who is involved. Let's see why. So Yoshii tells the men to hurry, go to our compound, the Setsuan clan compound, and a body has been tied to a mound of sand, uh, between which the body and the sand are bamboo mats. This looks very deliberate, so I would imagine it is part of the ceremony that Mr. Sakai is is portraying for us here, the the testing of swords on dead bodies. Uh, he he speaks on that a little bit at the end of the book that I'll, I'll read you. I, I hope you folks don't find that too boring that I read those sections. Uh, they're not real long. And they certainly give much more information in a better way than, than I do or could. So that, that's why I've liked adding them now that I have access to the actual comics and I'm not reading from a compendium, uh, which I have. But I would prefer the 
comic books because they have that information in it and information from letters that I'll pull from and stuff like that. Anyways, back to the book here. So he's getting ready and we see the process. He takes a sword, uh, tells us it's from the swordsmith Yamahira and, and Yoshii is like, that's a secondary sword. Uh, let's see how worthy it is. And he takes some water out of a, a bucket, uh, douses the blade with it, then flicks the water off the blade, cleansing it um, physically, but I suspect maybe spiritually as well. He walks up to the body and he uh, says, once it is known that our tests are performed on corpses, the greatest smiths in the land will vie for our services. That's what he's after. I will begin with the most difficult of cuts, the Ryu Kumura, which translates to pair of wheels. Then use the other blades for the lesser cuts. And as he's preparing to um, strike his blow, he's even let out his But he stopped when someone screams, stop. And he looks, saying, who dares? You're under arrest, Yoshii. Ishida and Usagi and uh, about four or five policemen have come into the compound. So they have a battle of words here. And Yoshii tells them to attack. So we have many battle panels between Usagi, Ishida, and police officers on one side. And yeah, and um, Yoshii and his clansmen on the other side. Battling back and forth, back and forth. Yoshii gets the drop on... Inspector Ishida, and just as he's delivering the blow, Usagi blocks it, and so then takes his place as the foeman for Yoshii. So they go back and forth, Yoshii looking down on Usagi when he, Usagi tells him he's a masterless samurai, and, and, you know, who would dare attack kind of thing, and Usagi's like, well, since you asked. Uh, And they're going back and forth and back and forth, until, of course, as you would expect, being an Usagi fan, Usagi delivers the fatal blow. But before Yoshii fatals, he says, I sorely underestimated you, Usagi-san. Ah, a magnificent stroke, worthy of my sensei. Long have I wished to possess such skill, but sensei was right. I only deserve to cut straw as he collapses. And his death's head, much like the death's head for Lady Maple, the previous issue, is drawn up much like he, but more ghastly, as the death's head shows us he has expired. That's the end of the battle. You know, the leader is is done, so the followers of the leader stop. We have an end scene here between Usagi, Ishida, Haruko, his wife, and Kotaro. And um, the significance of this is that Ishida asks Usagi, well, you know, you're, you're headed out. Where are you headed? And Usagi says, I'll probably be going north. There are other people there that I would like to visit. And Ishida tells him, well, that's good. Nii has not yet captured that long-eared assassin. I think he may have escaped to the south. That is where the search should be concentrated. And so that's where I think that Ishida made the connections. Um, and I guess there is enough respect for Usagi that he doesn't believe Usagi was into anything evil. Um, although, you know, normally Usagi should have questions to answer. Um, Inspector Shida does not ask those questions, preferring probably just to stay out of it as much as um, possible, but not dishonor his office. So the words here that we have, we have uh, sensei, samurai, ronin, seppuku, which we've all seen before, 
Tamashigiri, which is sword testing. We also see Eta, which I believe I have used before. Representative of the lowest social rank, Ishida describing to Usagi those corpses that were not uh, clean. And I'm throwing up the quotes, clean for the sword testing. Uh, Doshiki, which is patrolman. And Ryu Karuma, which is the pair of wheels cut that Yoshii was going to deliver. Now, Mr. Sakai, at the end of the book, tells us new swords were often tested for strength and sharpness on the bodies of beheaded criminals. The corpses were either suspended from a rope or laid on a mound of sand. There were 18 prescribed cuts, ranging in difficulty from the Ryo Karuma pair of wheels across the hips to the Sodasuri cutting the sleeve in which a hand was lopped off. Lesser blades were tested on bundles of straw. Uh, we also see here somebody in a letter is asking, where are the gaijin? Um, Usagi has not encountered really any gaijin in his stories. And uh, uh, Mr. Sakai, or uh, wh whomever is answering the letter, tells him, uh, as you said, foreigners were restricted to certain cities, such as Nagasaki. They were not allowed outside these areas without armed escorts, and even their movements within the cities were carefully regulated. It was treason for an ordinary Japanese citizen to have an, any interaction with barbarians. So you can see the difficulty in plotting a story in which Usagi meets a foreigner. However, I do have a couple over the horizon. You'll just They'll just take a while. And somebody else uh, here was asking about the a Buddhist priest, as in... Uh, well, as also has been found in the Rashomon stories, uh, a bonze, B-O-N-Z-E, bonze, bonsai, bonze, not bonsai, bonze, uh, is a Buddhist monk. And uh, Mr. Sakai says because he doesn't personally know a whole lot about them, he hasn't written a whole lot about them for fear of, you know, getting something wrong and insulting anyone. All right. So the next book will be Usagi Yojimbo, Volume 3, Issue 31 from Dark Horse Comics. Cover dated September 1999, and I apologize, I neglected to write down the title of the story. But that will be the issue. Hopefully you can find out for yourself and read along and be ready for episode 105 when it comes out. Thanks a lot, guys. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives 3.0, Unported License.